in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen so fast, you're not even going to realize it happened. Just about as fast as you can blink is as fast as that transition is going to take. And I'm ready for that day. Aren't you? Amen. Clap your hands one more time. Amen. Amen. I want to turn your attention to the word of the Lord. We're going to go to the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. If you remember, I have been teaching on uh, salvation, or rather I've been teaching on fundamental doctrines uh, in the word of the Lord. And I taught several weeks ago uh, on oneness. Anybody remember oneness? Well, there's another foundational truth found in the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. So we're going to read that. I want you to, to read it aloud with me uh, unto the Lord. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, some of you, every one of you. You know, there are some things that are not debatable. There are some things that are not loopholes. And Scripture, because God knows all things, Scripture does a good job of closing all the loopholes. So when it says, every one of you, there's no question as to what God is trying to say. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Go to the next verse. It says, For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, this was Peter doing the, the, the speaking. But what prompted Peter to say these two verses? You got to go to verse number 37. If you could bump us back to verse number 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Amen. You may be seated. You know, people are still asking that question. What do we do? How do we be saved? If the question is the same, then that leads us to believe the answer is the same. Man is in need of salvation. Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 9, Paul writes, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. 
As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none, there's no room for debate, no loopholes. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Scripture also says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You didn't ask to be born a sinner. You were born with an atomic nature. Romans 5 and 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. The way generations work is when you're born, you inherit traits from your father and traits from your mother. Beyond that, you inherit traits from your grandparents. They may say, you look just like your grandma or you got your grandpa's nose or whatever. Well, the same thing happened in the spirit. We all inherited our sinful nature. You didn't ask for your nose. You didn't ask for your eyes. You didn't ask for traits. You inherited those traits. And we all inherited that atomic nature. Sin destroyed the one thing that God desired, and that was relationship between God and man. God created Adam for relationship. He created Eve not just for his pleasure, but he knew that humanity needed relationship. And so he said, I've got to create a helpmate for you to have companionship. Everything in life is based upon relationships with people and relationships with God. Relationship with God. And God, when that when that sin entered, it severed that fellowship. And throughout the Old Testament, no person could, could go into the holiest of holies. There were so many limitations based, first off, none of us could ever think about going into the temple or into the tabernacle because we're Gentiles. So if you're a Gentile, you were automatically excluded from relationship with God. But then if you were a Jew, it began to list out all of the all of the qualifications that then it 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 whittled away at people. And there was a select few and they couldn't go in there just their own way. There had to be a proper way to bring that sacrifice, to offer that atonement, uh, and it was sufficient for once a year. 
John 1.29 said, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. In Matthew 26.28, Jesus said, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. If anyone understood what the atonement was, it was Jesus. When that priest went in one time a year to offer that blood upon that mercy seat. It was the blood of atonement for the sins of Israel. And it sufficed for one year. And so when Jesus made that statement, he, or rather when John made that statement about this is the Lamb of God, he was not declaring him simply to be a representation of God. But he used the word lamb because he understood that he will be the atonement for all of humanity. He will be the redeemer of sin. He will be the door through which everyone can walk through. And this is what Paul was talking about in chapter 5 of verse 8 of Romans when he said, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The entire work of Christ was based upon one thing. It was not that he could come and wow people with miracles. It was not that he could preach great sermons. In fact, Jesus didn't preach sermons as we know it. Jesus told stories with spiritual meanings. He related to people, got down on their level. But the entire purpose of Christ was that his blood could be offered as the atonement for our sins. Hebrews 2 and 9 says, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. What does that mean? It does not mean that he was less than the angels in status because he was God. He created angels. It means he had to transition momentarily into the likeness of man so that he could have blood because angels don't have blood. The atonement was not based upon a body or a being. It was based upon blood. So he was made a little lower. God said, okay, I've got to get you low enough so you'll have blood, pure blood undefiled blood and that blood is going to be the atonement scripture says he was made a little lower than the angels why for the suffering of death 
crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death. All right? Let's talk about dominion, dominion and authority. The reason that Adam could have dominion over the ground was because he came from the ground. And you have dominion over what you came from. And the reason that Christ could have dominion over death is because he tasted death for everyone and then was brought out of death and therefore he's the only one that could have dominion over death. We couldn't have dominion over death because no person other than Christ has ever came from death. Now I'm teaching a whole lot better than y'all are looking right now. He tasted death and because he tasted it, and he came from it, he therefore had dominion over death. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The ugliest thing that God ever made was also the most beautiful thing that God ever made. Because scripture says that he had made him sin for us. The ugliest thing, which was the sin of humanity resting upon the shoulders of Christ in the spirit world, was also the most beautiful thing God ever made because it brought redemption for all of us. Think about those Israelites that all year long they would look for that spotless lamb, the purest that they had, the most beautiful that they had. You couldn't just bring anything. You had to bring your best lamb or whatever sacrifice uh, was in your social class that you could that you had access to. But it was typically a lamb. And as that Israelite fed that lamb all year long and took care of that lamb and nourished that lamb, and all of a sudden they bring that lamb to that priest, and that priest picks that lamb up and throws it on that altar and ties the legs and then kills it. That thing that was once so beautiful now turns into something so ugly. But it was beautiful to them because it was their redemption. It was their reconciliation. And so it was when that Lamb of God who was the purest of all creatures was hanging upon that cross. It was ugly in that it was gory and it was gruesome but it was beautiful in that it was the redemption for all of humanity he made him to be sin for us only Jesus makes God knowable sin remittable temptation resistible Joy attainable, heaven reachable, Christianity practical, and holiness possible. You can't do any of that without Jesus. 
Friend, it takes Jesus, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. Aren't you thankful that you know who Jesus is today? Salvation is not debatable. So we return to the question that they asked on that day of Pentecost. Men and brethren, what shall we do? How can we be saved? How can we escape the wrath that is to fall upon this world? Salvation first is through faith. It's faith. Show me something that you have in your possession that proves that you're saved. Nobody has anything. Because there is nothing tangible. We don't give out cards. There's, you don't have anything to prove that you're saved. The entirety of your salvation is based upon faith. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 8.24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. We understand that the wages of sin is death. John 20, 31, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Ephesians 2 and 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace is the means whereby we are eligible for salvation. But faith is the means whereby salvation is obtainable for us. So the first step is that you have to believe. Everybody shout believe. You cannot experience salvation if you don't believe. Everybody believes in something. It might differ from person to person, but you believe in something. Even if you don't have faith in God or believe that there's an existence of God, you're believing in the absence of God. So you're believing. Believing. But you have to get beyond belief. Believing is just the very foundation. It's the very... It's the very entrance. They got these games. I don't, I'm not a gamer. I don't think I'm a gamer. I'm not a gamer. But I like some of these games that you put on your phone that I call mindless games where you don't have to think about them. You can sit there and waste an hour like Tetris. Anybody remember Tetris? Thank you, one person over here. Okay. And, and I'll get so excited because I'll see a game that I'm like, oh, I want to play that game. And I'll download it on my phone and I'll open it and then it says, well, you got to buy this and you got to buy that. So to play it, it costs something. I got it for free. But you got to pay to play. 
You know, that's like believing. You can believing is getting the game on the phone. But that's you can't do nothing. Because salvation has a cost. And a lot of people want to just believe, but they don't want to pay the price. You know, there was a day when people responded to God. They made up their mind in the pew that I'm committed to this thing. It may cost me this and it may cost me that, but I'm going to that altar and they're still in the church today because they counted the cost. But now a lot of people get caught up in emotionalism. I'm not saying they didn't get the same experience that we got. But the difference is they counted the cost after they made the trip to the altar and realized, I don't know if I'm in this thing for the long haul. And they fall by the wayside. Believing is the very beginning. But it's not the totality of salvation. Let's go to scripture to look at it. Acts chapter 19, if you could put it up and follow along with me, please. Verse number 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Because you've got to remember, there were still people that had followed John the Baptist. If you remember that John sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? Okay, so there were people that followed John the Baptist. They were disciples of John. And so here in Ephesus, Paul encounters them. And verse number two, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Okay. Sometimes when we read this scripture, we just think that everybody in that day knew about the Holy Ghost, knew about Jesus. There's a lot of people that didn't know who Jesus was, didn't know what the Holy Ghost was, didn't know what the day of Pentecost was. And here's proof. They said, Holy Ghost? We had not even heard of the Holy Ghost. And Paul, in verse 3, said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. What was John's baptism? Repentance. John baptized people unto repentance. He didn't baptize them in the name of Jesus because the name of the Father had not yet been glorified and the Spirit had not been given and the revelation of the name had not been uh, given. And so he baptized them in water by immersion unto repentance. It was a symbolic act of what they were pledging unto the Lord that we're going to change our ways. And so they said we were baptized into John's baptism, which was the baptism of repentance. Then said Paul, well, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him that is, on Christ Jesus. Now when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. The word prophesied does not mean like 
predicting the future. In this context, it means they begin to magnify the Lord and profess him openly as their Savior. So the Holy Ghost came upon them when they moved beyond believing. And they were baptized and they received the Holy Ghost. Some people think that believing is all there is. And they will pass that mindset from generation to generation to generation. In fact, on the, uh, on the coins of Spain years ago, there was a Latin uh, phrase on those coins. I don't remember the phrase, but I remember the interpretation. It means no more beyond. Because they felt like that that was the end of the world. And that there was nothing beyond that body of water. And so they passed that belief on from generation to generation to generation until someone named Christopher Columbus was ready to challenge that fallacy and he proved that there was more beyond. They literally lived their life bound by a false belief. And there are people that still do that today. They live their life bound by a false belief. You've got to move beyond tradition. You've got to move beyond opinion and realize that salvation is for whosoever will. But believing is the very first step. Many Christians preach the gospel or the good news. Christian groups rather, but many groups don't preach how to obey the gospel. They'll tell you that there is the gospel and that there is salvation, but they don't tell you how to obey the gospel. The New Testament Greek word for believe doesn't mean just to mentally acknowledge something. It's a synonym for the word commit, as in believing something so strongly that it causes you to do something. The Apostle Paul defined the gospel in three parts. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. This is the importance of continually preaching and refreshing our need for the truth in our life. Paul said, you've got to keep this in your memory, what I preached unto you, lest your believing is in vain. He said, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, that's the death, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That's why in the very first church service in church history, 
after the very first sermon preached by one of the apostles, after the very first time someone ever asked, what shall we do? And at the very first altar call in the church age, Peter said to obey the gospel by doing three things. Repent, death, baptism, burial, infilling of the Holy Ghost, resurrection. Because it was the very last instruction that Jesus left with his disciples before he ascended. Luke 24, beginning with verse 45. I know I'm giving you a bunch of scripture, but there's nothing better for teaching than scripture. Verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Now some people might say, well, there's no baptism in this scripture. Well, let's look at it again. He said, and that repentance, death, and remission of sins should be preached. What is remission of sins? Baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So though the word baptism is not mentioned in this verse. Jesus said it knowing he just opened their understanding. They're getting the fullness of revelation. He didn't have to say baptize in, the, in my name for the remission of sins. He said repentance and preach remission of sins and you know how to preach it. And Peter stood up and preached baptism in the name of Jesus for the remission of of sins. Jesus said, I will be crucified. I'll be buried. And then I'll rise again. And because of this, I want you to go out and preach repentance. Baptism, which is remission of sins in my name. And the promise of my Father, which is the Holy Ghost. The very last thing Jesus did on earth with his disciples was to emphasize how to obey the gospel. And Peter preached this very same message in Acts 2 and 38. Repentance. Let me tell you something. You cannot improve upon what Jesus established. There's people now making all kinds of denominations, drawing all kinds of crowds, doing everything they want to do. But scripture says you best not take away one thing from this book. One thing. And it, I, can't, I can't even fathom messing with anything in the book but 
most importantly, a plan of salvation. I can't imagine. you. There's people that you can, there, there's things that they want to debate and they want to argue about, but there's enough scripture and solid evidence in this book to prove that there is only one way to be saved. Jesus said, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he can not. No loophole. No loophole. He cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That is requirements. You know, when I was a kid, I was one of those that my allowance was on credit. Because $5 a week back then, you couldn't do a whole lot with $5. And so I'd find something that I wanted, and I'd, I'd go into my full begging mode. My mama, my grandma, rather, I had a, a cousin. She named us Anita and Iwona because I was Anita and she was Iwona. And I just thought I needed, I need this. I mean, my life won't even be complete if I didn't have this in my life. And so I'd find something and I'd set in. I need it. I need, oh, I need this. I, and so I'd wear my mama down. I mean, I'd just keep wearing her down. And she'd give in. And she'd loan me whatever, $20. And she had a little book in her purse. She'd, she'd keep a, a tally. All growing up through our teenage years, there was that little book. I mean, I never got paid off. And she finally got rid of it because my brother shamed her so much over that book. And... One thing when I, when I got enough and I started making my own money, when I bought something, it was mine. It was mine. And because it was mine, then I got to set the rules for whatever that was because it's mine. I remember, I mean, you talk about light a fire under me. When I was singing in the choir, I had to be to church early. And I was, I had my neckties and different things. And my brothers, I'd see them be bopping into church wearing my neckties. Forget about God, forget about everything. I mean, I was just mad. Because that was mine. It was mine. My brother, he used to make fun of me. They had a store, and I, I know I told this story. I went and bought a seatbelt from Gadzooks. It was a store called Gadzooks. And it was a big piece of rubber, stretchy rubber. And it had Coke bottle tops all the way around it. And for the buckle was a seatbelt buckle. And I thought I was the cat's meow. Where looking back, it was as ugly as all get out. But you know you wore ugly stuff too when you was a teenager. And my brother made fun of me. That's a seatbelt. you wearing a seatbelt. But it was mine. And because it was mine, I got to say who could do what with it. That's why I don't understand people messing with the truth. Because the Bible said that he had purchased the church with his own blood. 
And because it's his, and because he bought it, then he could establish the rules. He could lay the foundation. And he said, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, then nobody can enter the kingdom of heaven. Hey, friend, you can't mess with this message. You can't mess with this truth. You can't mess with this gospel. It's still repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Stand with me right now. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that God gave us a road map. God loves us enough that he wouldn't leave us to, to wander through life aimlessly and not have opportunity at salvation. God has always had a plan. From the beginning of time, and when man fell, he instituted dispensations. He always gave opportunity for people to be redeemed. Hear me. The time of the Gentiles is wrapping up. It's wrapping up. God still has a plan. And if God can, and I'm not getting into end time prophecy, but just hear me. People think when God comes back, the world's going to be destroyed. No. No. If God came back today, pre-trip, came back today, this earth would exist for 1,007 more years, at least. At least. Seven years tribulation, then 1,000 years for the millennial reign. And during that millennial reign is when things will return back to what God intended, and the lion will lay with the lamb. And the earth will yield forth its fruit, its best. And the nations that don't go to Jerusalem to worship Jesus, no rain will come upon their harvest, upon their ground. Christ will reign and rule the world from his seat in Jerusalem. It's in the book. Not, not a new Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that exists right now is where his throne is going to be established. And he's going to reign. And so it behooves us to make sure we live by this book and we walk by this book and we love this truth. Hey, friend, this isn't just a book of inspiration. This is a book of instruction. This is a book to help us navigate life's way so we can live eternally with the Lord. Aren't you thankful for this word?